evidence and answers. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat is interviewed by Roger Marsh. Roger Marsh has a national broadcast entitled The Bottom Line. Today's discussion will be the topic of who owns the land, referring to the land of the Gaza Strip. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's Roger Marsh and Pat Zucran as they conclude their interview referring to who owns the land of the Gaza Strip. You're listening to The Bottom Line Show today. I'm Roger Marsh. Patrick Zucaran is my guest here in studio. And we're talking about basically trying to answer the question, who owns the land that is under, that is in this uh, contention right now in the Middle East? Okay, two terms that keep coming up a lot that some Christians may say, I know it, I'm supposed to know what that is. I don't know what that is. One of them is, what are these settlements that we keep hearing are either so bad or so good? And what specifically is the West Bank? Let's start with the territory first. What, where is it? What does it mean? Why is it so important to Israel? Yes, well, the West Bank is a 2,000-square-mile area that lies really at the heart of the area, the heart of the land of Israel. And the easiest way to picture this is that this is a territory just west of the Jordan. And then it begins about 30 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, which is all the way up in the north. And then it covers the area just northwest of the Dead Sea. So it goes from the Jordan River in the east and stretches about 20 miles west. So if you're looking at an ancient map, the Israelis often refer to these as the biblical names Judea and Samaria. Okay. So it contains some of the most important Jewish historical sites, cities such as Hebron, Nablus, Jericho, Bethlehem, Jerusalem. And so that's the territory that we're talking about. And these are places that, you know, for Christians, we're saying, okay, if I were going to spend two weeks touring the Holy Land, I want to see this. I want to see the digs you were talking about where the archaeological history is confirming the biblical history here, too. And this is the part that you've got two sides of this. You've got the Israeli side, and you've got the Palestinian argument coming at this, too. Of what benefit then, I mean, other than just absolute power, of what benefit is the West Bank to a Palestinian group that really doesn't even have a nation? Or is, this, is the contention that, well, this is our homeland, and so if you just get out of it, then we can set up a nation of Palestine? Is that, I mean, is that too overly simplistic? No, that's about it. The Palestinians, along with many of the Middle Eastern countries, have not acknowledged the right for Israel to even exist. So it's even more, it's more a matter of them saying, we don't believe that Israel exists, right. rather than we're trying to get our own land back. Right. Okay. Yes. And so, really, they have not acknowledged the right for Israel to exist. They don't believe they have the right to be there in the land at all. And for the Palestinians, being majority Muslim, Jerusalem is the third most holy site for the Muslims. And so it's an abomination for them to have Jerusalem and even the Temple Mount controlled uh, by the Jews. Talk about that significance, Pat, because I think that that's something that we oftentimes gloss over. I know there are some Palestinians who are Christian. You said the majority of Palestinians are Muslim. The Muslim reason for Jerusalem being a sacred holy place, the Temple Mount, far different, obviously, than for us as Christians or even for Jews. Talk about that. Right. You know, for the Jews, that's where the temple was. The Jerusalem Temple, Solomon's Temple, Herod's Temple, great history there, right there on the Temple Mount. And Although the Muslims believe there's no evidence that there was a temple there and that Israel has, the Jews have no. All the archaeological evidence doesn't mean anything to the Muslims. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, okay. you know, it's, it's quite surprising, but there's great historical significance for the Jews there. But the Muslims believe that that's where Muhammad made the midnight journey from Mecca on the back of a donkey, the midnight ride from Mecca, and he landed there in Jerusalem at the Dome of the Rock. So there's two Islamic mosques right there on the Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, which is the third most sacred site for the Muslims. So that's why they see Jerusalem as very sacred to them as well. I can understand now, Patrick Zucherin, why that's so important to the Muslim contingent. I can understand why it's so important to Christians. I can understand why it's so important to Jews. And it makes sense then why they're always fighting each other on the Temple Mount. (laughs) Someone's trying to push somebody else out of the way because they're saying, this is sacred to me. No, it's sacred to me. What evidence does the Muslim contingent have? I mean, we know in Scripture, for Christians and Jews, we have archaeological evidence coming out of our teeth that this is historical. On the Quranic side of it, what what evidence do they have? I don't think there's any. And we have no evidence, at least from a historical and an apologetics position, that Muhammad ever made that midnight ride to Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. I mean, the only witness we have, really, is the donkey, you know, and I don't think that guy's talking. No. Or has talked. Well, unless he knows Balaam, you know, back in the Old Testament, <laughs> yeah. then, then, then that's God's words and right. not Muhammad. Right. So really, there's no uh, historical evidence there except the words of the Quran. And even translators of the Quran, like Abdullah Yusuf Ali, who has the most authoritative translation of the Quran into English, writes in his commentary that that was a vision that Muhammad had. And so really, if you're talking historically, there's all kinds of historical evidence of Jewish history, of that being the Temple Mount where Solomon's Temple was. If you're talking historically uh, Islam, there's it's hard to build a historical case except for the words of the Quran, mm-hmm. you know, that Muhammad had any kind of presence there in Jerusalem. So what you're saying, Patrick, just to summarize, is the Muhammad version in the Quran is very, very highly subjective. And the biblical account for Christians and for Jews is very, very objective in terms of we we do have verifiable evidence where they just have a, it's this way because Muhammad said so. Right. Yes. You know, Muhammad is kind of circular. I hate to say it, but, you know, it's Muhammad is the prophet of God. And Muhammad said this, therefore, it is true. So it's kind of a circular argument there. But when you go to Israel, one of the exciting things now is not only do they have the Western Wall, the remnants of Mm -hmm. Solomon's Temple there, you can go under the Western Wall. And there are these massive, well, not massive, but these tunnels down there. And you can see the massive foundation stones that go all the way down to Solomon's Temple and even below that. So that's really exciting that underneath Now, you know, the Muslims for a long time blocked off those tunnels. I thought they were just legendary in Mm -hmm. nature. But now you can go down into those tunnels and go under the entire Western Wall. It's a magnificent, magnificent walk you can take there underneath the Western Wall. But there's a lot of historical evidence. You sound like a travel agent now. (laughs) There's a lot of historical evidence for the integrity of the Old Testament Uh there There. uh, and Solomon's Temple. Well, I'm encouraged by this. Talking with Patrick Zucheran today here on The Bottom Line. He's the Executive Director of Evidence and Answers Ministries. I'm encouraged by this, Pat, because of the fact that for so often we find ourselves as Christians having a conversation with someone and we'll wind up running into the whole science is settled argument, you know, for example, when it comes to, you know, gender issues and things like that, where we have biblical creation on our side and God's original plan and original design. In this case here, when it comes to spiritual issues that are so easily dismissed in our culture as, well, you know, Jesus is a fairy tale just like Santa Claus, and I'd rather believe in Santa Claus because at least you get presents. I mean, using that as one of the arguments. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, but here, th- this there's some verifiable 
tangible evidence that is really irrefutable. I mean, you can debate it all you want to, but we really do have the evidence that when you look at the, the Temple Mount, for example, that is the, the history of Christianity and Judaism, and it's legend when it comes to Islamic tradition, which then, okay, now if you've got the Palestinians who are majority Muslim coming at this area and the Christians and the Jews saying, wait, this is Solomon's temple. Now you can see where it it really almost isn't a fair fight because the Christians and Jews have so much evidence to back up their claim. So then the Palestinians resort to violence? Oh, well, you know, the Palestinians do have a rightful claim to that land. I think we'll talk about it later because they have been there for centuries after the Jews were dispersed by the Romans. Okay. And then the Romans came in and renamed the land Palestine. And Let's talk about that because I think that as people start talking about like two-state solutions and things like that, that can be a little confusing because it seems like it's an either or, not a both and. And I want you to unpack that. Patrick Zucaran is with me today in studio here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you've ever had a question about, okay, I know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, we get it, we're Christians and we're Americans and we support Israel, or perhaps you're part of one of the Christian traditions in the United States that does not, that believes in the boycott and diversifying sanctions against Israel because they're being mean to the Palestinians. I hope that you're finding this conversation to be a benefit. I know I am. Zuke has recently returned from the Holy Land, has made a couple of trips there, but also does a lot of research on how do we as Christians equip ourselves? I'm going to say arm ourselves, but that's probably not the best description when you're talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict (laughs) in the West Bank. How do we arm ourselves with enough information, not just to win the argument, but really to get to the truth, to get to the bottom line of this issue? And you made a statement that I'm sure perked a lot of ears up where you said the Palestinians do have a rightful claim to this area. What is that rightful claim? Yeah, well, let's go first to the Jewish claim of the land. Okay. Uh, they have a rightful claim. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, mm-hmm. that was a everlasting covenant. The land was promised to them forever. They have a historical claim as well in the book of Joshua in the 14th century BC. You know, they conquered the land and were there for nearly 2,000 years until they were defeated and sent into exile throughout the world by the Romans. Then in 1917, after World War I, the Balfour Declaration guaranteed the Jews a homeland in Palestine. Of course, that was not fulfilled. But then after World War II, the United Nations declared you know, the land of Palestine as a homeland for the Jews. So they have a biblical claim. They have a historical claim as okay. well. That's the Jewish side. Yes. Now the Palestinians also have a historical claim to the land. They have a long residency in the land. The land was officially conquered by the second caliph of Islam, Umar, in 638 AD. And the Arab Arab groups have lived there ever since. So nearly 1,400 years, they have been in the land. And the British McMahon-Hussein Agreement, remember that whole territory was owned by the Turkish Empire, Mm -hmm. and the Allies came in, the Ottoman Turks, and the Allies came in and said, if you, you know, to the Arab tribes there, if you will align with us and help overthrow the Ottoman Turks, we promise these lands to you, which also included the land of Palestine. And remember the great Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Help bring that coalition together there. And of course, they didn't know they were betrayed by the Western powers who had already divvied up the land for themselves there. Well, the land of Palestine was given to them. And in 1948, when the land was also given to the Jewish people, there was the great Palestinian displacement where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced from their homes and had to live in ghetto conditions. Which year again? 1948, when the Jews moved back to their homeland. And the reason the Palestinians were forced into many of these ghetto conditions is that it was their Arab 
neighboring friends who would not allow them to migrate into their country. Hmm. And so hopefully I don't get shot here, <laughs> but I believe both have historical claims to the land, the Israelis and the Palestinians. Okay, now I'm not armed, so I'm, I'm a friend here. <laughs> talk about this, but you're right. In terms of looking at the knowledge here, when we talk about a two-state solution, I mean, oftentimes we jump to the end. You know, we pass go and want to collect $200. A two-state solution sounds like, well, okay, the Israelis, the Palestinians have to find a way to work together. However, I'll hear this from a lot of Jewish leaders. They'll say, look, if the Jews would to say, we'll lay down weapons and try to have a you know two-state solution here with the Palestinians. I mean, if they do that for us, we'll let them stay. If we do that for them, they'll kill us. They'll run us over. And, and I, I don't want to overstate that, but I mean, we're talking about a couple of different platforms here, Pat. I mean, in terms of, you know, whether or not you're talking about rightful claims is one thing, but here we are in 2017 where military might, strategic alliances, that that can all factor into it too. So how do we get from your claim of saying, okay, yes, there is rightful claim on both sides to, but how does that look in real life? Yes, you know, a two-state solution would be ideal, but it is not working because one side, the Palestinians or the Muslim world, does not acknowledge the right for Israel to exist. If, if the Israelis were to acknowledge the right of the Palestinians to exist, why wouldn't the Muslims acknowledge that these are people. I mean, obviously, there are some, not all Palestinians are Muslim. I mean, I realize mm-hmm. the majority are, but I mean, what is keeping the Palestinian Muslim contingent from saying, okay, Israel, you have a right to exist? Yeah, well, it goes all the way back to the days of Muhammad, when Muhammad began preaching in Mecca. He was friendly to the Jews and the Christians, hoping to win their favor as another prophet or apostle. Well, when they saw the errors in his preaching and a lot of the unhistorical things that he was preaching, at least what we have in the Quran, mm-hmm. they rejected him as a prophet or apostle. And so he became hostile to the Jews and the Christians. And of course, the battle has been ever since. So it goes all the way back to the days of Muhammad, where he, and in chapter nine, chapter numerous chapters of the Quran, he denounces the Jews and the Christians and not to make friends with them. And it's very hostile and attack. This it, is where we get this death to the infidel. Right, language. right. And the Jews and the Christians are named quite a bit. And if you read the biography of Muhammad, the oldest one out there by Ibn Ishaq, well, he attacked the Jews and the Christians and was severe in his uh, intolerance of them. So it goes all the way back there. Also, Islamic eschatology, you know, in many Islamic theological circles, the Mahdi, the Mm -hmm. Islamic savior. For some, like the Shiites, they believe he is hiding in a well there in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Others believe he is waiting up there in heaven. And what keeps the Mahdi from returning to leading the armies of Islam against the West, defeating the infidel armies of the West, is the existence of Israel there in the Holy Land. So that's one thing that keeps the Mahdi back. If they can eliminate Israel, then the Mahdi shall arise from the well or return from heaven or wherever they believe he is. And then you have in 1967, the Khartoum Resolution, the famous three no's, no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. So you have the Khartoum resolution. So I'm talking with Patrick Zucran today here on The Bottom Line, the executive director of Evidence and Answers Ministries. We're talking about Israel, the West Bank, the two-state solution, why it can or cannot work. There were negotiations rather famously cut off a year or so ago between the two parties. And I wasn't surprised at all that the Palestinian leadership said, forget it, we're not going to talk. Or was it the Jewish one? I mean, someone's always getting up and walking away from the table. But if the three no's are guiding the Palestinian Muslim contingent, then how can anyone expect a two-state solution? Right. That's why, although ideal, a two-state solution will not work. And although 
I'm going to have to side a little. I'm, I'm trying to sound as objective as I can, sure. but I'm going to have to side a little bit with Israel here. When Israel has conceded land, it has not brought peace. You know, they surrendered the Gaza Strip, and instead of peace, Hamas came in there and began launching missiles and has been a strategic point for terrorist organizations to launch attacks against Israel. The Palestinians have not shown that they can control, and they have, you know, Hamas and radical groups in their government as well that launch attacks against Israel, you know, from Jordan. And so that's why Israel controlling the West Bank is so critical. And so the more Israel seems to concede, and by the way, there are over a million Palestinians living in Israel. Interesting. Yeah, there aren't any Jews living in Palestine. Right. And in fact, there are Palestinians in the Knesset, the Israeli parliament there, and there are Palestinians in the Israeli military. So it, it, basically what you're saying, Pat, is they have, uh, right now, Israel has demonstrated a willingness to at least make overtures in the two-state solution in terms of the number of Palestinians that live there, even in their government. It's the Palestinian response that has just been, no, no, and we'll kill you. Yes. That... Give us everything we want. I mean, I don't oversimplify it, but it sounds like, based on what you're saying, that based on the evidence, these are the answers. Right, and that's why a two-state solution is not possible. There's going to have to be another solution. Okay, I'm dying to hear what this is, because quite frankly, I would like to see some kind of peace in the Middle East in my lifetime, Lord willing. I know you would, Mm -hmm. too. But we know that the two-state solution, based on the way that players are playing right now, based on the deeply and sincerely held religious convictions of each side, that the Palestinian contingent is not going to be settled with satisfied with anything other than complete annihilation of Israel. So how do we get a two-state solution? Patrick Zucaran, the Executive Director of Evidence and Answers Ministries, will answer that question. Is it possible to achieve a two-state solution in Israel, in the Middle East, in the West Bank? Roger Marsh here on The Bottom Line Show today, joined in studio by Patrick Zucaran, the Executive Director of Evidence and Answers Ministries, and also the host. They have a radio broadcast. He's also the uh, one of the hosts on the 808 State Update in Hawaii, where he is from, and uh, when he decides to get off the island and come back to the mainland. He hangs out with us in California, and I'm very, very glad he does. But about uh, six, seven months ago, he led an expedition to the Holy Land and uh, came back from Israel. He and a mutual friend of ours, Junko Cheng, who was leading worship for them there, got a chance to see the digs, to see not only the evidence, but also you got a chance to see how this plays out in real time. And I believe that that's important as a Christian, as a pastor, an American, for you to then bring that message back and say, okay, this is what I've studied, this is what I know, but this is also what I've seen. You've seen the Palestinians living with the Israelis, and there's no conflict there, but you've also seen what happens when the Israelis make a concession to the Palestinian Muslim contingent, and they get run over. Yes, you know, and the terrorist attacks from the Palestinians continue. And so when you're there, Roger, you can sense the tension, especially when you come to the border cities like Bethlehem, where you have to cross in to Palestinian territory. How If you have a Jewish guide, he needs to get off the bus. Hmm. And so you can sense the tension when you're there in Jerusalem or along the border. Okay, so how do we get, I mean, there's a lot of talk about a two-state solution. The Israelis are saying, look, we would like a two-state solution. However, if we make concessions, the history says we're going to get run over, we're going to get blown up. The Palestinians basically say the two-state solution is it's us and us. Right. You know, but there, there is no Israel in <laughs> uh-huh. the whole thing. So you've seen this. You, you After weighing the evidence, you're leaning toward Israel, but you like a two-state solution. What would you suggest? 
Well, you know, as we stated, a two-state solution would be ideal, but it doesn't seem possible because the Palestinians do have not acknowledged the right for Israel to exist. And if they had, this would be a lot easier. I, I mean, think so. I think that we're, we're talking about hundreds of years of history where the Palestinians mm-hmm. are saying, there is no Israel, so why are you in our way? Right. In essence. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we stated, and I hope I don't get shot for this, but uh, I stated that both have a rightful claim to the land. Mm-hmm. However, since a two-state solution is not possible, several possible solutions I have read. I think the best one, and I don't think the Palestinians would go for this, but I think the best solution here would be an autonomous Palestinian state under the sovereignty of Israel, hmm. I think might be the best solution here. I don't know. I mean, you I'm glad you're talking about being, being cautious and saying I don't want anyone to you know, get angry for saying that. But based on the fact you were sharing earlier, there are Palestinians living in Israel. There are Palestinians in the Knesset. I mean, they're, they're part of the government. They're part of the fabric of the nation. It would not be unreasonable, I don't think, in the same way like we think about U.S. territories that aren't necessarily states, but they're still under our you know, purview, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Virgin Islands. It sounds like that type of gives the Palestinians the state they're looking for, but it also gives the Israelis the confidence that they know that this state is for the people who would live here anyway, but they want their own state, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's reasonable the Palestinians would have some independence and be able to govern and police themselves. However, they would not be allowed to have a military. Mm-hmm. And that's not foreign to the Palestinians. I mean, they were under the rule of the Ottoman Turks for sure. for 400 years, and then the British took over after World War One. So it's not completely foreign to the Palestinians. So I think of all the solutions I've read out there, that may be the most plausible one here. I like it. And you heard it here first on The Bottom Line Show. <laughs> uh, Patrick Zucaran, I th- thank you for th- doing the, the heavy lifting on this. Mm-hmm. 60 seconds. I mean, we've got a president in Donald Trump right now who, whether people love him or hate him, has said the U.S. is all in behind Israel. You've got uh, Secretary of State Tillerson. have got a U.N. ambassador now, Nikki Haley, former right. governor of South Carolina, mm-hmm. who's made two very, very compelling addresses in the U.N. company of saying this is the U.S. position with Israel. We stand with them. We support them. You know, there's a new sheriff in town. Are you encouraged that something like this could move closer to fruition? Yes. You know, I'm very encouraged. But what I'm more encouraged with is that we're going to stand behind Israel once again. And that's really important. They're the only true democracy there in the Middle East. They have been a strategic ally in our fight against the war on terror. And for those of us who are Christians, there are biblical reasons why we should stand behind Israel. Uh, Genesis 12, Zechariah 2, and others, you know, biblical history and history, modern history. Do you have something on your website that our listeners can go to at Evidence and Answers? Oh, yes, evidenceandanswers.org. We have radio shows on this topic. We have mm-hmm. articles, Israel at War, the Significance of Israel, and others. So there's biblical reasons why we want to stand behind Israel as well. God said, I'll bless those who bless you curse those who curse you. Okay, evidenceandanswers.org is where you'll find Patrick Zucaran and you'll see his website there with all the resources that they have. If you want to dig deeper, maybe start a Bible study this summer at your church as to the significance of Israel, Israeli-American relations, but also the church here in the United States standing with Israel and seeing that they're a political ally, but also there's a, there are lots of biblical reasons why we should be supporting and not uh, divesting. That, that's correct. Yeah. There are political reasons there are strategic reasons, there are economic reasons, but for us Christians, one of the most important, there are definitely biblical reasons why we should stand with Israel. History has shown, not only in the Bible, but modern history, nations that have blessed Israel, God has blessed. Amen. And nations that have gone against Israel, indeed, in the end, suffer the judgment 
uh, from God as well. And in my study, I don't think God has thrown Israel out. I believe there's still a plan for Israel in the end times. Amen. And so that allegiance, I believe, is very important. That doesn't mean we agree with everything Israel does. You know, when they are wrong, we do indeed need to yes. stand against what they're doing wrong. But we overall, it's a great alliance, a very important alliance for us here in the United States. Patrick Zucharian, Executive Director of Evidence and Answers Ministries. Evidenceandanswers.org is the website. Uh, thank you for this tutorial. I'm encouraging all Bottom Line listeners to go to the thebottomlineshow.com, get the podcast of this, and share it with pastors, share it with your Christian friends. Make this a source of conversation so that we can be well-versed in a very political issue that also has very spiritual and biblical significance. Patrick Zucharian, thanks for being with me today here on The Bottom Line. Always great to be with you, Roger. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and of course, Pat's books. Be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.